The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's another film study. Not such a fun week to look back at, but we're going to look back at the week three, Monday Night Football loss uh, to the Chiefs. Ken McCusick, how you doing? 
Life's good, Josh, except for the loss. And Lamar put it best. The Chiefs are the Ravens' kryptonite. Yep, Everything they... falls apart when the Chiefs come to town. 0-3 oh, now against the Chiefs for Lamar. And he had a big hand in it. He wasn't the only one. His receivers let him down a little bit too. But uh, uh, the defense didn't play great. But uh, certainly not the performance they wanted. Yeah, obviously. And our guest for this week, for tonight, is Jordan. Jordan uh, writes over for BSL. We've got a cool announcement as well. But Jordan, how you doing? Um, tell people about BSL when you're writing over there. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast, Josh and Ken. I, I appreciate it. Um, I do some writing about the Ravens over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, um, kind of covering the week's prior game and um, writing about some things that I see on film there. Um, and try and keep an eye on the Ravens, and, and we talk it up over there on the website and uh, on their message board. All right, and here's the cool thing that we've got is we're this is our second real season of FilmStudyBaltimore.com going in full effect, so we're slowly expanding it. And what we're excited to announce now is that we're adding a new podcast to the mix, which Jordan is one of the hosts. Jordan and Gabe will be doing a weekly podcast Starting later this week, you can find it over on filmstudybaltimore.com, and it's called The Situation Room. Jordan, can you tell us, some, tell us about it? Yeah. You know, Josh, we're looking to try and dive into situationally some stuff that's happening on the football field and trying to break down some plays that are some really big moments in the game. And so trying to look at the plays that end up swinging the percentages of the game or having a really big outcome or maybe even unique plays that we see where something is set up that, that gets executed later um, and is taken advantage of or missed assignments that happen multiple times, um, individual players. So we're trying to focus on some of the stuff that you might not see that jumps off the tape at you right away, um, but quietly or or not so quietly has a big, big impact on the game. All right. So this week you're going to get to pick out some big points where we failed as a team. So... Yep. Really excited uh, to have you over at Film Study and excited for um, that podcast. I think it's different than what's out there. It's different than what we're doing. So definitely uh, we'll post it all over Twitter. We'll post it all over filmstudybaltimore.com. But make sure you subscribe to this show as well when it comes out uh, later this week. You can't miss it. Yeah, so I've known Jordan and, and Gabe both for a couple of years now. And outstanding analysts, great follows on Twitter which we probably ought to get to at least by the end of the show here. But definitely encourage people to interact with them, particularly on Twitter. Get them involved in conversations the degree you can. I think you're going to be very happy with the result. All right. And before we dig into this Monday night, there is some news today that we need to deal with. So we're going to break down the presidential election. <laughs> or, or we'll just skip all that and we'll look at the COVID situation that has a chance of affecting the Ravens in a few weeks. Could you uh, fill us in on that, Ken? Yeah, scary situation, obviously, with the Titans today that uh, uh, there was a report linked, and I think, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but the, the Titans are going to be shut down until Saturday in terms of practices and whatnot, which means they won't practice this week due to some sort of a COVID out, outbreak. It's been rumored there are as many as eight positive tests. I have not heard a confirmation of that from any league source. But uh, presumably this could mean their game on Sunday would be delayed. I think they're going to try and do everything possible to avoid that. Uh, the NFL has a specific set of rules in terms of how they try and reassign games, which should mean the first thing they try and do, particularly in terms of, of really abnormal weather events, is to move the game to Tuesday. 
if possible, it can't be played on Tuesday, uh, then they'd have to find a way to rejiggle the schedule. So it might mean creating an extra, an extra week between the playoffs, or it may mean rearranging the schedule, and the Ravens could actually be involved in terms of moving a game for them, a game for the Steelers, getting the Titans um, uh, off the schedule uh, this week, but the but the the Ravens and Steelers playing in a different expected week. So it could yeah, it could impact that, the Ravens directly in the end. Right, and that seems very convenient and an easy move to just adjust the buys, shift things yes. around, and only impact three teams to do, make it work. Do you remember this happening to the Ravens before? Uh, of us moving a bye week? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I can't remember why. Okay, so I remember was, losing the bye week. In, in 2008, and, and I don't remember which storm it was, but there was damage to Reliance Stadium in Houston, and the Week 2 game had to be canceled. They wanted to keep it in Houston, so they moved it, I think, to Week 10, and the Ravens had to take their bye in Week 2 and then play 15 consecutive weeks that season, the first under Harbaugh to make the playoffs. Right. But now, but the good thing about this is it would only be the Titans that then have to take their bye early. Because the other Ravens would have to go a, a week, what, a early. week later, a week, week early, early. Mm-hmm. but they would just be flipping things around in week seven and eight. So it wouldn't be a if you're not talking a week two impact like before. It's not an enormous imposition. Uh, it is an imposition, but not enormous. And it's also in a year where the NFL has been very careful to not announce how they're handling bye weeks as far as letting people go on vacation and all that yet. Hmm. I, Which, I I didn't know that, but that's interesting. Yeah, I was because I was looking it up on this weekend, trying to figure out because they're being with the COVID stuff. What happens because there's normally so much travel during the bye week, and apparently they haven't made an announcement yet on what the players are allowed to do, which means they're still probably negotiating with the union. <laughs> so it seems like there's is a never-ending never cycle of negotiations around everything to 2020 at this point, and and frankly, you know, dealing with the cap in 2021. Let's go get on to the topic of, of uh, you know, disdain, difficulty this week is getting back to this uh, game against the Chiefs, though. Jordan, really appreciate having you here. Uh, game of many failures, for sure. Uh, I think some of it you just have to, to leave as a great outing by Mahomes. He was absolutely terrific, and there's no defense for the perfect pass is one of the common things defensive coordinators say. Yeah, but, you know, I, it felt to me like the Ravens left a, a lot on the field. And, and Mahomes played a great game, but I, I thought even more so the Chiefs coordinators called a great game on both sides of the ball. Um, and, and this is one of the few times where I feel like the Ravens coaches were just blanketly outcoached on both sides of the ball. Now, there certainly were some failures in addition to that, but the adjustments just never seemed like they came or they never seemed like they were right um, and there was kind of a counter move from the Chiefs in, in everything the Ravens did this week. And, and they just, I mean, they just, it didn't seem like they had a chance to, even, at the, even at the peak moments of that game. They, did, they certainly did have an answer for everything. And that's one of the things that, that you know, the great quarterbacks can do. But also, you can, you can lay it on the coordinator. I think they had a lot of great play design on the, on the Chiefs' side to take advantage of what the Ravens were not doing well in this game. We're going to get into all that, I think, as we, as we go through this. One of the first things, though, that struck me about this game was the Ravens' failures on third down. And the Chiefs were 10 of 13, specifically on defense, of course, I'm talking now, but they were, the Chiefs were 10 of 13 on third down in this game. 
one of the failures came late, so it didn't even really matter. So they were really 10 of 12 uh, during the early parts of the game. Uh, they So much went wrong on third down. I thought it was worth an examination in my article, so it's out there in terms of every play examined on that third down, which I think will be a, a format used similar for the situation room is you're going you're gonna to look at common threads through a game. Right, exactly. All right. Um, so much went wrong on those third downs, but I, but I would say a couple things about Mahomes that, number one, his tremendous pocket awareness, and it was constantly showing itself. So even when the Ravens generated a little bit of pressure to move him off the spot, he effortlessly moved around the pocket, moved left, moved right. It didn't really seem to matter. I mean, we had the big one hip-turner pass when he was moving left. He moved right. He moved up in the pocket to throw one ball. Uh, it, it just he has a remarkable awareness of the pocket and still able to keep his attention downfield. Yeah, you know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is as good as advertised, and and I, I certainly have been on the the pro Jackson side of things, but we saw all of it in this game, and I thought, you know, especially on third downs, I think Wink really likes to try and mix things up and confuse confuse guys and and give them different looks, and I think that Mahomes saw all the Ravens' different looks on tape and and memorize what he thought he was going to have to come up against in those situations. And I think to me, that's the thing that stood out to me on third downs where you've got um, Humphrey and Clark rushing and Bowser and McPhee and Judon dropping in coverage. You know, those three guys are not going to be able to cover McCole Hardman. And so you either need Humphrey to get home or Clark to get home and get a quick sack there, or, or you're going to give up a first down. Um, and, and I think that, the Ravens were a little overconfident that their deception was going to confuse him. And instead of letting their best players be their best players, um, you know, they let their deception try and win the game. And Mahomes was just the smarter guy. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm not completely convinced that uh, having a completely non-deceptive pass rush, for example, would have been the way either. I think Mahomes could have picked that apart as well. But, you know, obviously, uh, I, I agree with you in the sense that the deception they used did not work. We're going to get into a little bit of that later in some in some real detail about the pass rush. I want to get back to these third downs in particular, though, because one of the other things that I noticed was how the Ravens consistently self-destructed on the short throws. And particularly, this is when the Chiefs had any sort of a bunch formation. And I don't know if you if you saw this from Next Gen, but the stack formation they used, the four-man stack formation they used at one point was the first time that had been used in five years. So next gen, I think has been taking the X, Y coordinates during that time. And it was, it was uh, the first time during their, their time that any, any team had used a four man stack. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that. I saw that play. I didn't realize that it wasn't one of those misused things. And, and the chiefs did a lot of that where they would run, you know, not rub routes, but essentially, you know, two slants inside and just wash out the coverage when they yeah. knew it was man to man. Um, and the Ravens didn't seem to pick up on it. And it was still happening even in the fourth quarter. I, I you know, it, that's the thing that just drove me nuts watching this game. And I scream at the TV set a lot when I watch a game. Maybe I seem like a calm guy who wouldn't get that way. The analysis after the game calms me down. They're in the game. I'm a wreck. And And one of the things that really kept coming up was, they had good opportunities to press and hit at the line of scrimmage. And one of the guys you can't let release free, among others, is Kelsey. You know, and they, they tried time after time. They had him at the line of scrimmage. And all of a sudden, you know, two people hit Kelsey. And then they both follow Tariq Hill or Hardman or whoever it might be. And there, one specific play I'm thinking of, Clark had a great hit on Kelsey to jam out the line of scrimmage. Timing of the route would have had to have been 
messed up. But then no one covered him, <laughs> so he's out there free by five yards. And I don't know about you, but I'm okay watching trailing coverage and having Mahomes constantly surgically be a yard ahead with his throw, catch the guy in stride, couple of yards of yak, but then you get a tackle. I'm not okay having a guy break open eight yards play after play. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The the Tyreek Hill touchdown was just a thing of beauty, and that's just mm-hmm. a touchdown you're going to give up to a guy. But these stop routes and these under routes, the drag routes that were going uncovered, I mean, you constantly had guys with nobody within four yards of them when they were catching the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's I, I agree with you. It's just a- absolutely aggravating because – and it wasn't just third – you know, their third down numbers were great, but the Chiefs converted on second down plenty. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was the Chiefs got whatever they wanted on any play, and it's it's almost like they knew that when the Ravens were pressing and up on the line everywhere that it was man, and they ran these kind of crossers in the mesh, and they kind of got everything confused. And when they were off, they just literally ran four yards down the field, turned around, and caught the ball and ran three yards. They had seven yards on every single play, and the Ravens had no response. Yeah, they 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 really uh, certainly had it. The Ravens, I think, really showed up some of their weaknesses, and Patrick Queen is one of the people who was really responsible during this game as, as not being there in the right place on third down. He eventually got pulled from the game, which is really unusual. Har- Harbaugh does not often do it, but he made a couple bad plays. Then he had the, the uh, uh, horse-collar tackle, of course, and he got yanked from the game for that. Um, but but he had, you know, on the this is not this is one of the third down plays, but he was out of position to cover the fullback Sherman. It was his responsibility on that shovel pass. It's just it's it's absurd. I mean, I, I understand you probably want to make an impact on the play somewhere, but that's your coverage responsibility. And it wasn't even a sure thing that he'd been able to make the play, but he certainly wasn't in position to have any chance to make a play. Um, and then, of course, you know there were, there were linemen in the area. He might have been blocked anyway. Sherman might have negotiated a route to the end zone, but the only chance for that play to be made was by Queen. Yeah, it seemed like to me what struck me the most about the defense and also the offense, but we're talking about the defense, is that these guys don't appear to trust each other. Um, the the assignments and the places where they're supposed to be in a lot of cases was just over pursuit queen in particular. And, and so, you know, I don't know if that's trust or if that's hero ball to me, you know, it, it's interesting where you've got a guy like Thomas run out off the team because he wasn't doing his assignments and people couldn't trust that he was going to be in the right place when it doesn't seem like anybody else on the team was doing that either. That, um, that's a very good point. You know, and the, I know exactly the play you're talking about with Kelsey, where where Clark gets him on the line right before that snap. Jimmy Smith points the Kelsey to Clark to to switch the coverage, and Clark comes up and presses him, and then releases and goes and chases the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it it, it it just stunned me. Kind of, it didn't it it didn't even seem like it was under preparedness. Um, you know, some of it was lack of communication, but it they they just. I, I don't know what it was. It's, it's really hard to explain the performance that we saw from the Ravens defense this week. Yeah, it's it, very strange. And uh, hero ball, I'm not, you know, I'm not even bothered that much by Marcus Peters making gambles, although he made a couple of really bad ones in this game. We'll probably get to that later as well. Uh, he didn't, I didn't have any problem with the perfect touch pass thrown in uh, with Peters in coverage on that. That was Peters, right? Peters yeah, that was Peters. That. I, I mean, you, you couldn't even see Hill. Like Mahomes couldn't have even seen him. Right. <laughs> just a drop right in the bucket. It might as well have been a you know fifty foot three pointer. Is 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 that kind of degree of difficulty? Is a beautiful pass. Um, it, it I don't have a problem with that, and I honestly don't also have a problem 
with his undercutting the hill route on the right sideline, where that ended up being a 33-yard play. 17 yards of yak got entered, entered, so it was either going to be a first and 10 at the 20, if he had you know played it safe, or he gave up a first and 10 at the 3 as it played out, but he was thinking, I can undercut, maybe intercept, maybe knock the ball away. And, you know, looking at the math of that, he really had to have about a 30% chance of being able to do one of those two things, I mean, about equal proportions, to, to have a reasonable chance at it. I trust Marcus Peters to make that gamble. So I thought that one was a really good one. Later in the game, not so much. I thought, you know, he really blew the cover three that ended up looking like Elliott blew the coverage or didn't know where he's going or bit on a double move or whatever. But, but the truth of the matter was that's a cover three play. And it, when, you, when you look at it, he's got the deep, outside responsibility and there really was no excuse for him on that play yeah to me that this is the part where i'd say that the ravens were also out coached marcus peter's strength is not playing cover three and i think mm-hmm. you and i actually ca- talked about this on a podcast that you and i did we were we talked about the secondary and i said maybe the ravens will play more cover three this year and you said well maybe marcus peters isn't the right guy for that and i said yeah you're probably right you know quarters would be a better fit um, you know, having that extra deep drop. So he has the protection when he gambles, so you can cover on things like that. And those assignments, you know, if we're talking about this as fans, and this is something that we see how did how, the, the Ravens played a lot of cover three, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers are. I felt like they played a lot of cover three because um, they wanted to keep the play in front of them. Um, and I get that, but you're taking your best playmaker in that instance and, and you're really taking him out of the game. Now, I thought the Ravens alternately used Humphrey exceptionally well. He actually, I thought, had a great game and and brought a lot of value in the slot when he needed to be there. And kind of the Chiefs moved different guys into the slot in and out and, and really kind of put some stress on defenses that way. And Humphrey settled all that down. So that's great usage. But if you're going to give up the other third of the field or put your best player in a position not to be the best player, you know, it just, I just wonder. <laughs> the, the, the Peters situation is a really strange one because he left LA and one of his main complaints was they had me playing cover three all the time. And, and he really didn't want to do it. He thought it was taking away some of his own playing. So of course, you know, he comes up and makes a huge gamble on, on uh, to try and jump to kills route. And, and a, a lot of people said today, and this is an interesting comment. I thought that the bait was all there for him. Tariq Hill's route was at the proper depth to get the first down. It was a nice, fairly easy pitch and catch crosser that would have been a a fairly good chance. And it was a chance to get him to jump the route. Of course, he went for the bait. You know, Elliott has no chance to keep up with McCall Hardman. And and it was a fairly easy uh, drop in a large bucket for, for Mahomes to throw. Easy rainbow. Yeah, that was a fantastic play design. I mean, there's there's certainly credit there. I, I don't think that Marcus Peters is the only corner that's going to come down and try and cover Hill on that crosser because there is a danger that even if Hill gets a step, you know, if he gets a kind of a step or two more on that deep crosser and gets a little outside the hashes, but enough where he can turn his body and get mm-hmm. his hip straight to go upfield, that's still a touchdown for him either way. And he's got Hardman in front of him to block. Um, so, so you're just putting a lot of stress on any corner in that situation. But yeah, I, I mean, Peters is going to be a little more baited than your average guy. And so it's going to, you know, people are going to talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, it is one of the things you love. And, and obviously the people who've had Marcus Peters before have hated him. Is just he's, he gambles coming off his own route, uh, off his own responsibility, and, and takes chances that he, that he thinks are good. And, and Peters, 
He may not be a mathematician in terms of doing this, but he definitely has a great intuition about when it's when it's great to take a gamble on a pick. And you know, this is his first really bad game as a Raven, and I, I you know, it's just exceptional, exceptionally bad. And I guess if you're going to have a, a fair number of bad plays, have them all in one game. I, yeah, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting also about this game, and, and we kind of haven't talked about the context of how COVID has changed the game. Um, the Chiefs are going to be a really good road team this year. <laughs> and, and them not having to play in crowd yes. noise had a huge impact on this game. Mahomes' ability to communicate with his receivers and to do certain things pre-snap that goes away when there's crowd noise is huge. And and it was like a it was basically like a Chiefs home game because he was getting hard counts. He was he was moving guys around. They had all the communication in the world that they needed. Um, I don't know if you on the end around play. Um, where it, like they basically started to run a reverse and then ran a screen back the other way and Campbell ended up tipping the ball, but could have been a touchdown. You can hear one of the players yell reverse and you can see the whole Ravens defense flow the other way. And if it wasn't for Campbell tipping that pass, it would have been a touchdown um, to Edwards Hilaire. But, mm-hmm. you know, that struck me. It, it seemed like a standout moment where these guys just had every opportunity in the world to be able to kind of communicate with themselves and the coaches and the sideline and all of that. And a Ravens home game would take, all of that away. Right. I mean, quarter, quarterbacks who can't run the no huddle all that well. And Jackson is a substitution quarterback. That's what they're, they're trying to do under Roman's offense is they try and use multiple personnel groups to tire out the opposing defense. That's one of the two basic strategies. I talked about this a few times on the show, but the other choice is the no huddle. Keep your same 11 on the field. Keep effectively the same defensive 11 on the field, but tire them out by, by keeping those same defenders on. We hit a lot of that in terms of long drives in these games with the same personnel, no, no changes to skill position, they weren't necessary, frankly, um, to, to get the Ravens very tired in this game. And I, and it's it's definitely an advantage. I thought there would be other quarterbacks, and maybe Joe Flacco would have been in this category, who would have been okay running a no-huddle offense at home, terrible on the road with any kind of noise, but that might be okay this year because it's not as big a deal, obviously, to play in, you know without a crowd. You could do it at home or road. But I think you're right that the additional communication that the good new huddle quarterbacks get at the line of scrimmage is actually another big factor. And, and we're seeing that from Aaron Rodgers, I'd say, as an example this year. Everyone was kind of like, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's on the downturn. And this year it's, you know, yep. the sky's the limit. And and he just has wide open communication all the time with all his receivers. And he's a smart guy. He's going to see it, um, you know, and, and Mahomes is going to see that and they're going to take advantage of it. And. You know, I, I guess there's no real way to negate that. It, it, it's unfortunate that it wasn't a real Ravens home game against Mahomes, and, and I guess that's the that's the one silver lining I think I'll take away from this game. <laughs> well, and and I don't think they're going to get another chance. Unfortunately, in January, this is a one and a half game swing in the standings, obviously for home field advantage. So we'll see, but it, you know, it's unlikely they'll get to play the Chiefs here at this point. Um, Going back to the third downs for a second, the other thing that I thought really burned the Ravens on that was they were getting exposed by their own pass rush a couple times. I I, I could think of two plays in particular that that did this. One was a stunt inside by Judon that gave them a free right edge for Mahomes to run for a 12-yard conversion. So, yeah, I, I just... 
you know, they did other things, though, on a more regular basis that you've already talked about on this thing, is that they tried to rush Humphrey off the slot, for example, who wasn't ineffective. He had a pressure and a quarterback hit as I scored it, but that meant not Humphrey was covering the slot receiver. And, you know, in one case, they had Judon on McCole Hardman after an ATS pocket. So, you know, it had been three and a half, four seconds, and he's, he's you know, trying to cover him downfield. The play, it reminded me, is fourth and nine from two years ago on the same kind of situation because Mosley was left to cover Tariq Hill. Yeah, that, that, I, that same thought ran through my head when, when that happened, the, the, the exact same thought. And, I mean, the Chiefs were – what I thought they were particularly good at within this game is working effectively east-west when they wanted to and then working effectively north-south when they wanted to. Um, and they had the Ravens off balance consistently on third down – Whenever the Ravens thought they were going to do something east-west, they went north-south. And whenever they thought they were going to go east-west or north-south, they went east-west. Um, and and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were, you know, I'm not saying that they they knew, but I think they just picked up the tendencies. I think, you know, the Ravens are so aggressive all the time with how they call that I think that smart, you know, data analysts can look at what some of these things are and probably find underlying trends from Martindale because they're always doing it. There isn't really like a... I think deception is better when it's less used because there's a base going off of it. The Ravens have this kind of chaos thing where it's always deception all the, all the time. I would rather they have some base like half the time and deceptive a quarter of the time and show deceptive packages a quarter of the time and not use it. Right. Well, I think I, that'd be more effective. I, I, you can't, you can't be deceptive on every player. It's no longer deception. I think, I think we can agree with that. I do, I do want to get to some of the deception, the pass rush. Before we do that, let's jump into packages for a minute because there's some interesting things that, that came through in the Ravens packages and what they played. So before the game, we heard the inactives, and there was actually some chatter on Twitter of who's going to be inactive, but Broderick Washington was the guy. So they went with just four DL for the game, four defensive linemen. And they have Ricard, of course, if something happens, if somebody gets hurt. But I think the plan is obviously not to not to play him again. By the way, I'm still amazed at this point that they haven't activated a third tight end. That's something I predicted all along was going to happen. But they seem to be perfectly happy to have Ricard play that tight end spot in line now some last night as well. Uh, yeah, but- I, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised that, that they haven't activated a third tight end either that has a, a little bit better set of hands. I actually, you know, the, the biggest difference, and I know we're talking about defense, but on offense, the, the night and day factor, I think, right now for the Ravens offense is not having that third tight end that has a great set of hands, but was still also kind of an average to above average blocker in Hurst. And, yeah. and they just, the, it allows the defense to come in a lot harder against the run because there's no thing behind it to hold them accountable, a little bit more accountable sometimes. Well, anyway. what, what, what Hurst gave them was a tremendous level two and level three block, or blocker because he had the quickness to get into that level and make a good block, whereas Ricard really is more of an inline or an at-the-point-of-attack blocker. Uh, let's talk packages a little bit, though. I mentioned only four DL. So what the Ravens would expect with that is they're not going to have to play a lot of base defense. And unfortunately, they ended up having to play 10, 10 snaps of base defense. That's probably more than they expected for the entire game. But they played one near the end of the first half and then the nine in the second half. So you can see the pattern here. The Chiefs basically got heavier with the lead, tried to show more run. They didn't always run out of it. They didn't even run all that effectively for the whole game, just slightly over four yards of carry. But uh, a lot less effectively, frankly, than they threw the ball. But they did force the Ravens into more of these heavier packages, and the defensive line played a few more snaps. Fortunately, there were no injuries, and I think they got through this okay, but it was it was not an ideal situation. Base defense, by the way, by far the Ravens' most successful, 
as the game went on. It's not surprising because there's fewer fewer passes, but they allowed only 2.1 yards per play on 10 base snaps, and that's, of course, where they had their third and one stop and both of their fourth and one stops, even though the second one didn't really matter anymore for game purposes. Yeah, the combination of Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams playing together when they're in base, I think has been really, really effective. Um, and Brandon Williams didn't have a great first game of the year, um, but I thought the last few weeks, he, the last two weeks, he's played exceptionally well. And I think that's that that's a big part of how, why the Ravens were successful in base this week. Right, I, I agree. He he really stepped up the last two weeks and has, has been playing at a higher level. Been loving to see that happen. He's really one of the few defenders from this game. I think you can really say good things about. Um, let's continue on here. They played five snaps of jumbo nickel as well. We, I, I keep thinking that package is going to go away, but right now they don't really trust uh, much in the way of their inside linebackers. Let's put it that way. They obviously don't trust Harrison or they'd have given him more snaps relative to Fort. Though Harrison has the size to play the mic, he may only have the training to play the will right now. And so they don't want to really have him switch positions uh, they might need to at some point. They might need him to be the signal caller, but or 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 to take to take the Mike spot if Queen were to get hurt. But I think they're thinking they they need to get through the rest of a game and then and then work on it. You know, during the week. Um, you know, they used Chris Board as a replacement right. for Queen for a drive and a half there, and and that was fairly strange. Boards had his sets of mistakes this year. Uh, Fort's been a will linebacker this year, not a Mike at all. Uh, he still occasionally is in there as the one linebacker when they're in some form of dime, but uh, but is otherwise not uh, uh, you know not very frequently in there where he'd be, he'd be confused with the mic. Yeah, I was surprised when when Board got out there on the field. You knew you knew that's when the Ravens were really yeah. desperate at inside and linebacker. Pissed off. <laughs> Uh, I think I think pissed off at Queen is really where that where that came from. Yeah, they they played 31 snaps of standard nickel in this game. I want to talk a little bit about results there. Not not much, but the 31 snaps of standard nickel they were okay. They allowed 4.3 yards per carry uh, and 7.7 yards per pass. Uh, 16 and 15 of the two. So it wasn't the standard nickel specifically that lost them the game. You see what I'm building up to here <laughs> is that they they played 27 snaps of dime and they had a historically awful game of playing dime defense in this i'm an enormous proponent of the of the dime people have heard the show uh you know fair amount know that people certainly have read, read my articles know that i i uh for years was on teen peas about not playing any dime effectively uh the way the way he ran the defense but the dimes has a very specific purpose. It's a sub package. You bring in six defensive backs with five other defenders of some sort, often four at the line of scrimmage who are rushing the passer and one inside linebacker. And when you do that, you are giving up something potentially if the other team gets a first down, but you're getting something that you're supposed to get a higher chance to get that opponent off the field. And that did not happen, to say the least, on Monday night when the Ravens had... I want to get this right, make sure I have the correct number here. They allowed 16 conversions on 27 dime snaps. That's all downs. So some second down conversions there, probably a first down conversion or two. They had one drive ending play by the dime, 16 and one. Unacceptable, totally unacceptable. Uh, you know, and normally you'd expect probably to have more drive ending plays than conversions against a dime in a typical game. Yeah. 
that's those numbers are completely damning. I mean, that that it felt that bad on the field. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it seemed at least to me when I was watching when they were in that dime package, that it was very clearly a specific kind of zone or very clearly press man. And the Ravens, I think, kind of gave that up a little early. And once the Chiefs figured that out, then it was off to the races and they, they knew what they were getting and they knew how they were going to attack it. And they were running these deep middle crossers and the inside linebacker just like when they were in that zone, whoever that was, was just not covering. And sometimes that was Clark. Sometimes that was Queen. Sometimes that was other guys um, that were dropping. But I, don't, I whether it was communication, whether it was not understanding where they were supposed to be, in the middle of the field in particular, I thought, especially kind of like 10 and 15 yards down the field, the Ravens were just miserable. I, I, I don't think it was only there, but yes, I agree. And they averaged, <laughs> they averaged 10 yards per snap versus the dime defense, 271 yards on 27 snaps. So I, I, I cannot recall ever a game this bad. I mean, playing 27 out of 73 dime snaps is a pretty significant commitment in what the high 30s percentages. And it's, it's not a... Uh, you know, 10 yards per play, very unusual, certainly, against the dime, but it was big play after big play against it. And uh, they just, they, they had it figured out how to attack. It's obviously, it was a point of emphasis for them in terms of game planning was how to beat that package. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and they got it done. And, you know, it's, yeah, the, the whole game was, was frustrating overall, but I think that in particular, um, you know, that's where the Ravens should have been at least at some form of advantage in the game. You know, when they've got all their defensive backs on the field, you know, ideally like down and distance are a little bit more favorable and just consistently, you know, on those third and longs were just every time. It was uh, it was an ugly night for that. Let's talk pass rush for a little bit if we're okay with that. Yeah. Anything else to say about packages before we move on? No, no. Okay. All right, great. Um, so the first thing is the notion that the pass rush never got home, never got close, never pressured Mahomes. Really not true. Mahomes got moved off the spot a fair amount. He had 30 38% ample time and space, 16 and 42 dropbacks. Now, that's probably – it might be a tad high. It might be about normal for today's game. And the, and the number keeps going down because – Defensive coordinators keep trying to get more and more fast pressure. But I will say this, because of the, all the Ravens put into their pass rush in this game, in terms of deceptions, not as much numbers, but in terms of deception, um, I would have expected a higher, sorry, a lower uh, percentage of clean pockets that the Chiefs could have delivered to Mahomes. And it, unfortunately, it didn't matter whether he had a clean pocket or not. Kind of like Jackson in week one, didn't really have a clean pocket at all. Didn't matter then either for him. He just picked the opponent apart in both cases. Yeah, you know, I, I thought the Ravens pass rush actually did pretty well. And I thought, you know, in terms of a package, when it was Jihad Ward, Calais Campbell, Bowser, and Judon rushing together, I actually thought collectively they did a pretty good job. There were a couple stunts where they kind of... Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. 
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Ran themselves right out of kind of where yep. the Chiefs seemed like they were going to go or what they were doing. But that combination of guys were were getting pressure. Um, and, and Bowser and Judon in particular seemed really locked in. Um, even even that offsides was not offsides. Oh, they, I agree. They, they were they were you don't have two guys jumping offsides simultaneously like that. I think the off the rest of the offensive line moved late, a little a tad late and they were just on the ball. I was it was not a great call, but I, I thought that was a good representation of those two guys being really locked in. Um, yeah. And I thought that they both played a, a pretty solid game. It just at some point, it also just became fatigue. And this is kind of interesting as it relates to the dime. You know, for for the secondary guys, I, I don't expect them to kind of get worn out over over time, right? Like that's another place where you might have an advantage. But these guys on the, the defensive line, and when you're pass rushing, I, I kind of expect there to be a little bit of mm-hmm. wearing down over time. And so the Chiefs had the ball a lot in this game, or it felt like a lot. You know, I didn't actually look at what that time split was. Um, it's the, it's really the play split that matters anyway. It's seventy three yeah. to fifty three. I think was the ending play split. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and then it, the Ravens, I believe, kneeled out both halves. So yeah, <laughs> no, they didn't. They threw a pass. They made, they kneeled out the sec the end of the game, which is very rare. But uh, but it's like seventy three fifty two. Then it means uh, that's just uh, you know that's a, that's obviously a heavy, a very one sided game. Yeah, and I think they just you know to some degree, like you said, they they're just going to wear out over time like that, and so. You know, all in all, I thought they did a good job of moving Mahomes off the spot. I, I mean, he's so hard to defend in the sense that, you know, the Ravens were always successful, it felt to me, against guys like Manning and Brady. Because once they moved him off the spot, that that, you, that was kind of their kryptonite. And mm-hmm. that's not the case for Mahomes. And when they spied, there was a guy running open. And when everybody was covered, there was no spy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I, it's uh, it, it, it certainly is one of these things that it's it's just very difficult to figure out how to how to close all the doors. I mean, you get a sense kind of how other teams have to approach Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson has not shown the same ability, obviously, as Mahomes to put the ball in a position with very dangerous receivers to be able to get a lot of yak. And and Mahomes certainly had this in spades in this game, as every throw seemed to be not only right on the money, dropping the bucket when that's what he needed in the end zone, save to, to on the on the on the beautiful pass but but other times i mean he was hitting receivers in stride with plenty of space not getting them to turn around to get the ball and then turn around back up field waste time doing that i mean it's all just beautiful stuff so i I want to talk a little bit more about the pass rush though by numbers the ravens had 41 of 42 rushes where they used either four or five exactly so one thing about this game we didn't see the variation of by number of pass rushers that we've seen in previous games. They didn't try and rush three. They didn't try and rush six. They did rush seven once. Uh, that, that ball went incomplete. But, uh, but basically, they, they, they stayed with either a four- or five-man rush, and 22 of 42, 52% were five-plus the Ravens, right on their season average um, in, in terms of that. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't numbers that they committed to the rush. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't always have to be numbers. You know, it, it, it 
Mahomes did seem to have a good sense of which direction the pressures were coming from and, and having routes where guys were running behind them. And some of that is just these guys have been playing together long enough that they have a really good sense of each other. I, you know, there was, there was one blitz on the right side where it ended up being like Kelsey ran kind of a slant. And I, I don't think that that was the original route call, but it was just an area that got completely voided and Mahomes is looking right at him. Kelsey sees the space in front of him, easy catch and throw um, via communication. And so I think sometimes, even though you get these only four, only five guys, you know, Wink likes to kind of bring it all from one direction, try and show like you're going to go left, end up going right. And, you know, the good quarterbacks are going to see that and the good quarterbacks and receivers are really going to break you down um, when that happens. There were a lot of times where Bowser was, the only edge guy kind of on the right and Kelsey was split out um, in the slot to his side and Mahomes would just wait to see what Bowser was going to do. And at, at least I th- saw this at least three times. And every time he rushed, he'd just throw it to Kelsey. Um, and, and there wouldn't be a, there was no one else that could have covered him. So it's just an, a very easy catch and throw. Um, so it's a memorized hot. Read. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, you know, that's, a, it's a good point. I, I, I think that, the the amount of the deception they used here, it certainly was not, it was not effective, and I'm gonna get to that in just a moment. But um, they blitzed just 11 guys off the line of scrimmage. It's actually a low total for Martindale, and 11 on on 42 pass plays, you know, just over a quarter a play, whereas normal is more like 0.4 per play, um, is is low. So it wasn't blitzing from off the line of scrimmage. They did. They did bring a lot of guys up to the line of scrimmage and dropped to coverage. So they were simulating pressure. And I thought in several instances, that really put the Ravens at a big disadvantage. And one of them was on one of the third down plays was, was having Clark as a simulated pressure on the offensive right side. So he's effectively, I forget whether he's in the B gap or the C gap, on that right side, up at the line of scrimmage, simulating pressure. Well, Edwards Hilaire moved from Mahomes left to Mahomes right. Sorry, other way around, right to left. And the pass went a little swing pass to left. Well, apparently, it was too important to Clark not to give away the fact that he was simulated pressure than it was to follow Edwards Hilaire. And what that ended up being is an 18-yard pitch and catch that shouldn't have happened, right, right you know, in, in wide open space, where they didn't have the relative importance of those two things covered properly, meaning the continuing with the deception versus going ahead and covered, covering Edwards Hilaire. But 18-yard play, I think it was 0 plus 18 um, on that. And Clark, uh, you know, obviously got got uh, got outrun there. So I, I, I don't know what the rules are. I really don't on when they abandon simulated pressure as opposed to trying to maintain your facade for as long as possible to give the pass rushers the best chance to get home. So I understand there's a there's an interplay there, but it just seemed like, you know, with, when one of their big playmakers has changed basically to invalidate your situation, you need, you probably need to, to change with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And, and I don't know that, um, you know, the Chiefs offensive line, even down a starting offensive lineman is still pretty good at the tackles positions and obviously most of those guys, well, I guess three of those guys going into this game have played together. Their communication was strong with each other, which negates a lot of that simulated pressure when you can pull that off. Um, And when that happens, you know, defensively, I think that that's where you either need to make a big adjustment. You either need to then bring the house. um, And, you know, I didn't realize it was only 11 pressures off the line of scrimmage. Um, So I guess I kind of have to take back my comments earlier about kind of where that blitz was coming from. But 
you either then have to actually bring the pressure, like actually start to put those guys in a position where they have to defend it. Don't give them that advantage anymore. Cause if you're right. not kind of spooking them into it, that or, or abandon it altogether, like you're saying, follow your guys in coverage, give away your man and cover two or give away your zone and be the better players and win those possessions. Um, and the Ravens kind of found themselves in the middle of all that and were exploited with pretty, re- pretty regularity because of it. Right. Two other points I want to make about the pass rush. The first, they had nine times where they dropped two plus guys in the line of scrimmage, kind of corroborating some of the things you're talking about earlier. They had, you know, two and three guys. They had actually on one play, they had four guys dropped from the line of scrimmage. And, you know, that's, that's, it's a lot. It's, it's, what it does is every one of those players is disadvantaged in whatever coverage responsibilities they have. That's the way you got to think of that. And, and so if you have a 4-4, a 5-4 pass rush, and I forget which of the two it was, but it was one of those, then you're really disadvantaging. Uh, it was actually on a first and two at, at the goal line that they did it. So mm. obviously that's a place where it's more, you have more opportunity to get into the right position, but it's also the place where they lost the left tackle and didn't cover. So it's, yeah, what was, what was <laughs> just that, that play in particular? Did Malik Harrison forget that Eric Fisher was eligible? Yeah, I, he's I said, literally standing right next to him. I, I, there's something about how I watch football with Maureen that I don't like myself when I do. First of all, I, I scream a lot, and she kind of kind of gets bothered. The dog gets bothered, but but then sometimes we get in a position like that, and I'll just I'll I'll I'll, I'll say, you know, what is going on with Harrison? He heard the same thing. He heard the eligible receiver call. Why is he not over there covering? It's like like she's supposed to have the answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he was kind of. It, it wasn't like he pressed up into the pocket. It, it's not like he tried. It, it's not like he was rushing. It, it's not that he didn't understand that that corner was his assignment. So, yeah. Anyway, and 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 it's the second time this has happened now. Chris Board on that same edge, also an inside linebacker. It wasn't like that play wouldn't have worked anyway in week one, right? It was the Browns' only touchdown, I believe. Yeah. But you know, there were two receivers on the other side. That play was going to work, but the fact that Board didn't cover anybody pissed me off. Pissed me off. This one was worse, though. This one was <laughs> yes, significantly it was worse. worse. <laughs> it, was, it was significantly worse. That was the entire play design. Anyway, let's, the, the other thing, the Ravens used six stunts the previous week, had five of them get home. Four quarterback hits and one sack. Um, thing of beauty, they used 17 stunts in this game. So they've been either reading my article or actually looking at their own film and seeing that, hey, the stunts are working. <laughs> and... Uh, they use those on, on 13 individual plays. So my guess is they probably said, we're not going to use all of our tricks in terms of rushing from off the line of scrimmage, which gives you more of an opportunity to stunt, which means you guys go ahead and call it inside the game. Judon in particular took tremendous advantage of that. I have eight of the 17 stunts being him personally. And for the amount of pressure he got, that wasn't worth it. In fact, he got zero personal pressures among those 13 plays, wet stunts. There were only three pressures of those. The, the, among all of those stunt, stunts and stunt plays, the 13. Uh, so you know, by any measure, measure, it did not work. And, and when, I, for, when we started this podcast, I said I thought the Ravens were outcoached in particular in terms of their adjustments. This is the kind of thing that stands out to me, that at some point, when you're six stunts in, <laughs> unless they got the first three pressures in the first six, but even then three or four or five or six more in a row on the other side of that, that aren't working. And you're seeing Mahomes leak out of the pocket and you're seeing him be able to slide and kind of maneuver within those areas. 
make an adjustment guys like like change the call like like run a, a cloud flat in your cover two because they're running stop routes on the outside every single route and and you got your quarterback turning around and running 15 yards behind you know behind the field it, it, these were those were the examples that really kind of drove me crazy that we were watching the Ravens continue to do the second, the same thing again and get the same results. And it's like, guys, what did you expect? Definition of insanity, right? The, the other thing I do is I count up the number of deceptive rushes in a game. And these are things that have two or more elements of these big three. So the big three being dropping two plus from two plus from the line of scrimmage, blitzing from off the line of scrimmage, or having uh, each individual stunt counted. So blitzes and stunts are counted individually. If you drop two plus, that's one only point you can get for that play. So they had 10 plays that were deceptive rushes because they had two or more elements. Okay, none of them had two blitzes, so it was two or more elements. Those 10 plays, 10 out of 10 for 160 yards for Mahomes. 10 out of 10! <laughs> what are you doing here? Obviously, it's not working. I mean, very simply, he was not deceived. Right. At, at nine. <laughs> at nine. At four. Four. Yeah. Right. But, but even at nine, like, yeah. like and, and I guess, that you know, that's my criticism. It's, it's just like it wasn't working. And I think there was a little on that last, the second to last drive. I think there was a little give up. And, and at some point, the Ravens just, I think, felt a little broken across the board, players and coaches. Um, but Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's staggering. That is I'm sorry. staggering. I'm sorry, I overstated it was only 156 yards, 15.6 <laughs> yards per play with, with one touchdown. Okay, so anyway, uh, enough said about the Ravens' pass rush. That was, it was fairly awful. Let's talk about some individual players in, in this game, and I think we've hit on a couple of them already, but if we need to, let's, let's bring up who – why don't we just alternate? That's the way we usually do it on the show. Jordan, you pick one. I'll respond – or give your thoughts. I'll respond and then pick the next. Yeah, you know, I don't think it can be understated how poorly Patrick Queen played in this game and how specifically targeted Andy Reid came at Patrick Queen in particular. The deceptions seemed designed specifically for him um, and specifically worked. And I was really frustrated, one, that Queen continued to make the same mistakes over and over again, but two, that the Ravens didn't adjust sooner on those. He was over-pursuing almost everything and, and consistently – just consistently out of position in terms of the game. And so he's a rookie and he's going to get better. And I hope that, I hope that he does. Um, but I think that there is going to be strong game film on how to attack him now. And and he's going to have to, he is really going to have to adjust because there's no reason the whole rest of the league can't do exactly what the chiefs did to him. Right. I, I would agree with that entirely. And, and it means that they're going to really have to sub him out on a lot of packages where his pursuit, which is his biggest plus at this point is not of great value. So, you know, most of what they want him for pursuit-wise, I think really comes on rundowns, even though he's not the greatest run defender overall. He can pursue to a screen pass, he can pursue to the edge on a on a edge run, but you know, obviously he has he has really significant problems. I want to talk about one play in particular because I think we we hit on the other two. We already talked about the horse collar tackle and the shovel pass that he was in position to cover. But the one that really irked me was quarter 3 1453. So if you're on Game Pass right now, you can look it up. But he tried to jam Edward Solaire at the line of scrimmage. He made almost no contact with him. That allowed Edward Solaire to run that simple little wheel route. Mahomes just dropped it in right over the top. There's no way that Queen can stay with him, even as fast as he is. And, uh, and it was just the fact that he made no contact at the line of scrimmage. He basically whiffed on him. And, 
and I, this may be a Ravens coaching thing, but why is Patrick Queen going to try and jam like Edwards Hilaire? Like from a proportion standpoint, Hilaire is going to get low and he's going to run right by him. Like he's, I think Patrick Queen whiffs on that jam eight out of 10 times regardless, because he's the smaller guy. And I, I think that, that that's something the Chiefs saw on film and they were, they were hoping he was going to do that. And they were going after him to do that. Um, I'd much rather have Queen stay kind of in coverage, not jam a guy that's smaller than him and is shiftier than him and come down and try and contact him and then have to chase him. I'd rather, you know, let Queen use his hips and his fluidity and his speed to defend him and take him out of the play. Um, Mahomes isn't going to throw that ball in that case, hopefully. Um, but if you, like you said, if you jam and miss, and even if he jams and catches him, uh, Edwards Hilaire has the speed to, to still kind of make make you pay in that instance. So that play drove me absolutely crazy. I did. I didn't understand. I mean, he definitely whiffed, but I also just didn't understand like the kind of coaching perspective on the Ravens part to kind of use that as what they were going to do. But that was also right to start the second half. I think the Chiefs saw that that's how the Ravens were defending him. And, and <laughs> Edwards Hilaire knew the jam was coming and that's and made him miss. Yeah, that, that's, that, you know, coming out of halftime, you have to think it was probably a scripted play that early in the second half. And, and that's certainly something they could have talked about there. You know, I, I agree with you. And, and, and in terms of when you jam here, you really do have to have a high success rate in that. And, you know, you, you, you generally, you can have a high success rate jamming a tight end. Even a, 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 you know, a stand-up receiver, if you've got a corner on him with the long arms who has the press coverage technique from years of, of knowing how to get his arms on the, on a receiver first, you got a good chance because that guy also knows how to recover. Patrick Queen, when he misses that jam, he, he disrupts the timing for himself. Way worse than, than he just dis- disrupted the other way. I, you know, I think he probably beats Queen in man coverage. I thought that the play was probably designed not necessarily to get him with, maybe it was, but, but, but to get him on Queen, period. Because that's a you know it's a it's a good option obviously for for Mahomes to deliver that ball a number of different ways and you know obviously they saw some of the mistakes that Queen had already made in this game and, and frankly in the first two weeks of the season. All right, my turn to pick a player, right? Yep. Let's move on. Um, let's talk about Anthony Averett. You know, obviously coming into this game, a guy who who didn't have a lot of respect from Ravens fans, I thought, honestly, he stayed out of trouble pretty effectively in this one. Didn't turn in a bad performance at all. Ended up playing, how many snaps was it? Let me get the number here. Ended up playing 27 snaps as I count them. The Chiefs had good success on those snaps, but it didn't lose us a lot of, of targets of Averett personally. Yeah, he had the one, um, there was a nine route from, um, I think it was Hardman and Averitt stuck with him. And there were a couple throws underneath that they targeted him. But for the most part, I thought he played pretty well. Um, and, and some of that is just coaching. You know, he wasn't practicing with the first team, wasn't kind of having the same approach on some of those packages. And when, when Young got hurt in, a, in early in that Houston game, he just kind of, I think they just said, Hey, this is what Tavon was doing. Go do it. <laughs> um, or, or just kind of, or this is what Marlon was supposed to be doing. Go do it. And, and he wasn't put in a position to succeed. Also, you know, Deshaun Watson's a pretty good quarterback too. Um, and so sometimes that's just what happens. Um, and I think we saw what happens when a player gets an opportunity is coached up a little bit better and is fit into scheme a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the reasons why his numbers were so bad may have something to do with how bad the Ravens were in dime in general. Yes, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, he, he only played in the dime package and, and his, his results are exactly the dime results, 27 snaps, 10.0 per play. So there's not any variation in terms of when he was in there, but I did, I honestly did not think it was, 
it was his problem in general. It's, it is an odd thing. Sometimes I talk about that number, but often it is package dependent that the, that the player gets. Uh, yeah. You go ahead. Who's your next I, guy? I was going to say, you know, Derek Wolf's a guy I want to talk about because he was pretty quiet this game. And um, there were a couple plays where I thought he did all right, but I thought Derek Wolf in particular was the guy not calling out the screens. The, the Ravens got burned on a handful of screens. And when I went back and watched them, he was one of the guys that would consistently be released. And he still kind of went up the field at Mahomes and didn't communicate to the rest of the defense that it was a screen. And when, when you've got an empty, I get frustrated on these screen passes in particular right now, when you've got an empty stadium with no crowd noise, mm -hmm. these defensive linemen should know when they're being released in a screen and the offensive lineman is literally running away from them. And they should either a stop and turn around and figure out where the guy that is about to be throwing the ball is, or they should call it out. So, so somebody else can pull off and do that. Campbell was exceptional at it. And he's a guy to, to watch kind of react. And, and when he knows he's not being blocked that way, I thought Derek Wolf was the victim a, a couple times where he kind of wasn't communicating that. And then otherwise, just generally not that effective this game. All right. I, th I think those are good observations about Wolf. And, and I don't know, I'm not sure I have anything to add to that. Although the Ravens play pretty well in their base defense and those packages generally in involve Included. Wolf. So I thought that was good. But but if I if I go on to on that same train of responsibility. Now I think the next player I want to talk about is Chuck Clark, because certainly he's the defensive signal caller, the leader. You can depend on Campbell at the line of scrimmage, but where was Clark in all this in terms of his ability to realign the defense? And we've seen him take responsibility for that on field, tugging Peters on the back of the Jersey last year and moving him over. And then obviously the run in with, uh, with um, Thomas, but, uh, but, you know, in this game, this is a game in a quiet stadium where he can make calls on the fly and, and, and get things done. And the Ravens obviously were out of sorts in terms of how they were managing crossing routes, shallow in particular, I thought, and allowing people to just break open in space. And Clark was a part of that fourth down stop where they got the ball back. And that was kind of his one good play that I can recall from the for, game. For, for forced fumble. Right. Oh, and the forced fumble. Right. Otherwise, Chuck Clark had a, a pretty miserable game across the board, I felt like. Um, out of position, it seemed like a lot, at least, and a bunch of missed tackles. Um, you know, the big third down conversion on that last drive where the before the um, before the Fisher touchdown, um, Clark had Hilaire Edwards and or Edwards Hilaire and didn't bring him down, um, had him kind of at the line of scrimmage. I think it was third and three unable to bring him down, kind of got washed out on the backside of a series of kind of runs when the big runs happened. Um, so, I, you know, I thought he maybe he was just not having a great week for some particular reason. But I thought that I was going to I was between Chuck Clark and Derek Wolf. And I thought I thought Chuck Clark played not great this week as well. All right. I, I, I equate what happened to Clark this week to kind of where Queen was in week one, that there were splash plays. But then there yeah. were also plays that that he obviously didn't make, and uh, and at least you get that. But but you know we need more from in terms of leadership from Clark now in the secondary. It's amazing that we're at this point so quickly after signing Earl Thomas. You know it's only been a year and two games or three games now since they signed Earl Thomas, and already Clark is completely the leader of the defense. It's, it's switched. Uh, you know we we need more from him from the rest of this year than we got in this game. Yeah, and Deshaun Elliott would be kind of the other guy I'd talk about. I thought he, generally speaking, it looked like he was the guy that got beat on um, mm -hmm. on the touchdown over Peters, but I don't. I think he was kind of in a cloud um, 
kind of responsibility there. And and that was Peters. But, um, you know, I thought he played pretty solid for a guy that is just getting his first crack. He's been in and around the ball. He doesn't he hasn't kind of seemed to have any of those big plays where he's out of position and didn't seem to have any huge missed tackles. And so, you know, he's a guy that we want to see a splash from. Um, but I've been pleasantly surprised with his play so far this year. Yeah, I, I'm in the same spot. I think we're, we're just you know, going to get to the point very quickly at some point where a ball gets tipped in the middle of the field, he's going to come down with it. And that was, you know, at Texas, he had all of these times where basically Scout said, the ball came right to him. Well, you know, the ball came right to Ed Reed, surprisingly often as well. <laughs> and, you know, it's it, it's being there a lot. In a lot of cases, when you to get interceptions, it's about at bats. You know, and Ed Reed dropped his share of interceptions too. Don't let anybody tell you differently that he had hands of glue or was Lester Hayes or anything like that. He was none of those things. He dropped plenty of balls too, but he was in position so frequently to get those interceptions. And I think Elliott will will be that kind of uh, sniffer as well in terms of figuring out a post. And and by the way, the heat maps would tell you they they really are not trying him. And I haven't seen it from Mahomes passing thing. But the first two weeks, they did not try to do much in the middle of the field beyond 10 to 15 yards. And I know Mahomes must have had more than that in this game. But a lot of what he did also was to the edges. I mean, the, the, the two touchdown passes were both right corner of the end zone. The, the, yeah. the, the You know, a left corner of the end zone to the left tackle. I'm trying to think of who, who had the fourth one. That was the shovel pass to Sherman. That doesn't really have anything to do with Elliott. So it's not like they beat him for any touchdowns in this game or that, that he was he was involved in those. It's, it's really, uh, uh, you know, I think he's, he's, he's kept himself pretty clean so far. And I wonder if some of that's Martindale's how he calls his defense, because we saw the same thing with Thomas last year. So it'll be interesting to kind of see, is it Elliott? Does it continue to play out? Or, you know, is there something kind of more glaring that the league is onto when it comes to Martindale? And that's why they aren't throwing over the middle. You know what? One thing they've been doing is rotating with extreme regularity their safety. So so Smith, um, Elliott and Clark have all been playing some of the single high role and they bring them to the line of scrimmage and and. It, it, it this group is more apt to be switched in that way than previous groups. It made no Agreed. sense with Weddle and Jefferson. Leaving Jefferson on the back end was was death. Bringing Weddle to the line of scrimmage is misusing his talents. So you know it's just it, it was it was stupid. These guys they're more similar. They're more interchangeable in terms of what they bring on the back end or or at the line of scrimmage. Maybe Jimmy Smith brings you more on the back end than than any of the others, or maybe Elliot does. I'm not really sure. But there's not a, there's not the kind of chasm like difference in terms of their front end and back end abilities. And this isn't player specific related, but more the safeties. The Ravens are doing this thing this year. I've probably seen it maybe 10 times between the three games where the single high free safety is 35 yards away from the line of scrimmage at the snap of the ball. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I saw it from Ed Reed a fair amount. I guess it allows for Reed steps, R-E-A-D steps, to then jump a coverage route on the outside at a greater depth. You know, what I always say about that is if you're playing single high, there's almost no chance to get to the outside to cover a route unless you have significant depth. Otherwise, you have to be treating it like a soccer goalie. You need to go off at the snap and basically not have the quarterback realize what you're doing right away, which I think you know most quarterbacks take a half second at least to read that play. And, and uh, you know, otherwise, you don't have a chance to get to a route outside the numbers. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get beat there. But if you if they play a little deeper, they've got a chance to take an angle and, and maybe get to one of those deeper routes between forty one and forty three yards where you're supposed to hit that receiver. All right. Um we we got no stars to talk about this week. So I'd like to move on. If we got any mailbag, uh, uh Josh will take care of that. Yeah. 
Let's jump in with a little bit of mailbag. Your chance to get in on the show using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. Uh, first one up, let's go to Joshua, who says, Ken, I know your take on the outside linebackers and that they've got versatility. But does this stem from their weakness? And maybe Wink's brilliance makes them effective, but they can't complement to the secondary to match the best offense's consistency. What do you think? Okay, I'll start with this. Jordan, I know you have thoughts on the matter too, but, but I'll, I'll just say that it didn't work this game. And this game plan and this amount of scheming for pressure didn't work against Patrick Mahomes on this night. Would I try it the same way again if I were Wink? I don't know. I don't know what other options there would be the second time around. I, Wink has adapted his game plan very effectively from week to week to match the opponent he's playing. They'll fa face Haskins this week. I expect an absolute set of whirling dervishes taking all sorts of gambles all over the field to create turnovers, and I expect it to be successful. Yeah, I, I think the Ravens' pass rush is better than than fans give it credit for. Um, they were really close this this past game a couple times to getting Mahomes down, and they were really close in the Houston game to getting Watson down probably four more times. Um, and so maybe, you know, maybe that's just these elusive guys are going to kind of get out of that. But if Bowser and Judon can close just a few more of these plays per game, um, those are going to be huge game turning plays. They would have been the kind of ones that would have absolutely stopped some of these drives in their track that all sides didn't get called. That was probably going to prevent that one. touchdown from happening. Um, I think from base that they can actually rush the passer. And I really like, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but like kind of the Wolf Campbell kind of one-offs and then kind of your Ward McPhee kind of inside and your Judon or Bowser outside. I think there's enough deception there between the stunts and which guy is going to come home that those four guys can get after the passer. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you have to have a mix anyway. Those, those guys need to be able to do it on their own when they're rushing four. And, and, they, and some of these times they're going to have to do it without doing two stunts at the same time too. Just because they know there's no blitz coming doesn't mean you call it, you, you agree to stunt every single time that, that doesn't happen. And uh, obviously, they, you know, they need to complement the coverage. The, the point is well made. So thanks, Josh, for the question. All right. Um, so I guess you're kind of leading a little bit to this, but uh, Minion Hunter's wondering about the bounce back. Is it uh, it's obviously better to lose this way in the uh, early in the season compared to the postseason or anything. <laughs> so how did the Ravens come and bounce back for this? Lamar said that it seemed that it looked like Kansas City's approach was the same as Tennessee's approach on defense to shut them down. And I don't know. You would think we would have spent the offseason figuring that out. Let's kind of break that into two questions. Jordan, why don't you take the first one, which is, you know, how do you expect them to bounce back from this kind of a thing? I, I you know, I, part of it is helpful to play the Washington football team next, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, particularly given their injuries. And I think this is a resilient team. Uh, you know, if you look back to the first four weeks of last year, um, th this was the team was not in sync. And there were on both offense and defense kind of missed individual plays that were absolutely breaking down drives and absolutely breaking down those games. And those things got cleaned up by week five. And then that's when the Ravens kind of got on a roll and got in sync. But there was a difference here. How did those things get cleaned up in week five of last year? They brought in new players. They flushed the toilet on their inside linebacker group and got Fort and Bynes in here to play that. They acquired Ward, I think, the next week. 
you know, they, they went out and got Marcus Peters a week after that. They went, they, you know, they got Jimmy Smith back from IR, you know, for week nine, I believe, versus the Patriots. And they gave Clark the green dot to, to, for the cherry on top of that. That defense was completely changed at midseason. One of the things I want to caution people is I think these are the players they've got for 2020. I don't think they're going to go out and get a pass rusher. I don't think they're going to go out even and get a slot corner, which I would dearly love to see. Uh, I think it's more a case of they're going to play with who they, they're going to play the cards they were dealt here. And honestly, I believe them to be fine. They played, you know, the best team in football, and they got beat, and they got beat pretty convincingly doing what they do well, which is unfortunate uh, <laughs> that they did not do it well on this night. <laughs> but uh, but I don't I don't really have a feeling that, that this is good. they're going to completely, completely, you know, discard four of their cards at any point, uh, you know, in five-card draw poker. And I'm talking about the offense, actually, a little bit more when I say that there were just a couple kinks that had to be kind of worked out. There was like a missed block kind of on every play. Greg Roman didn't seem to be in sync. And part of the problem was problem was that the Duvernay 93 or touchdown really ended up putting two long drives together for the Chiefs there and uh, and or put in put an extra pressure on the defense let's put it that way so I think they might have three and outed them the next time so they, they did but then, yeah but then the Ravens also three and outed and they got back on the had the on, ball less than a minute 10 seconds yeah. so uh yeah it, it, it's just it's really hard to manage that obviously the Chiefs defense the Chiefs weakness was the run and it would have been nice to see more of that the Ravens end up rushing for 7.5 yards per carry in this game so boy it's a shame the, the one other thing I'd say about kind of strategy is I, it seemed like Andy Reid played a lot of his cards in this game. And I think that the Ravens will be better prepared for the Chiefs because there aren't a whole lot more tricks left in the bag because they used a lot of them in this game. Well, I hope the Ravens have some. And, you know, this has been something so far. We've seen terrific freshness from both Martindale and Roman in terms of incrementally layered playbooks on both sides of the ball. And I just hope that there's there's enough left to throw at the Chiefs that that, that will be something they haven't seen. I mean, obviously they had the answer for everything this time. All right. Well, um, that takes care of the mailbag. Not a whole lot of stuff comes in uh, when you get an ugly loss like that. Um, unfortunately, it was hard to watch the game, so thank you for uh, sitting with us for an hour as we discuss all that that went wrong. Ken, articles up on filmstudybaltimore.com? Yeah, the defensive articles there. A lot of the stuff we talked about today, a lot more detail on the third down stuff in particular, some detail on some other players, Marcus Peter and whatnot. Uh, so it's, it's there and, uh, offensive line article will be out on Wednesday. All right. And Jordan, we gave a big push at the beginning of the show, but, um, let's do one more push later this week for, let's see if this button works. Welcome to the situation room. All right. Just got that audio in while we were doing the podcast. So All right. I love plug. it for people to check this out later this week. All right, yeah. that's great. I'm sure that's going to be a great show, guys. Uh, uh, you, you and Gabe are both very smart, engaging guests when you're running on this show, and I really look forward to partnering with you guys on this. Yeah, thanks for welcoming us to the team, having us on the podcast, Ken. Um, I always love talking Ravens, even even on the, the tough weeks, so uh, much appreciated. All right, guys, we will talk again soon. <laughs>
Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.